Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of The Friddle Show. Talking about Mars, Moderna, money, and much, much more today. But first, Mars, we have landed. And by we, I mean a robot. (laughs) Man is not actually there. We are not on a rescue mission for Matt Damon. None of these things are true, but we do have a robot on Mars. This isn't actually the first time, though, that we've had a robot on Mars. The first a spacecraft to land on Mars was the Viking Landers, which touched down on the surface way back in 1976. But some fun facts. Mars, the red planet, is known as the red planet because, as you may have noticed in the photos or the videos, it's kind of reddish. The iron oxide, or what we might call rust, <laughs> and its soil is what gives it that color. It's the second smallest planet in our solar system after Mercury. It is extremely cold, and it has the highest mountain in our solar system, which is a volcano called Olympus Mons, which is three times roughly the height of Mount Everest. Crazy. But we have the, the NASA's Mars Perseverance rover is now roving around Mars, giving us uh, audio recording from the red planet. Uh, incredible, incredible imagery and videos. It's just cool to see. Now, there's there's really not... I mean, it's it's pretty barren. Um, I, I think we can just stick with Earth. I don't think... You know, if, if there were any Martians and they were intelligent life forms, I think they would have found their way here and stayed here because it's just... Um, it's not it's not looking like a place where I would ever want to go, let alone live. Nope, no desire. <laughs> no desire to do that. But still very, very cool. I love the shots of the sky and the stars from, from the Perseverance rover. So, so cool. And it is cool just to see the, the surface of another planet and to think about the fact that we're on another planet. It's just, it's so cool. When I consider the heavens... The psalmist said, and he didn't even see the surface of Mars. Imagine what David would have wrote if he had been able to see what we see. The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? Like this is just, this is just the surface of Mars. And someday when you're not in Las Vegas and you can actually see stars, there, there are, they're like, they're countless And imagine, like, we're, how pumped we are, how excited we get about seeing the surface of Mars, and yet we have not even begun, not even begun to scratch the surface. Like, we haven't even put a speck on the surface of what God has created out there. Absolutely incredible. There was a, uh, so that's Mars. Let's talk, uh, let's talk vaccines. Let's talk, um herd immunity. Oh, I can't read it anymore because I think I've read it too many times. Oh, no, I can. Okay, 
Um, a doctor from John Hopkins University, a guy named Marty McCarry. I shared this on Twitter and, uh, and Facebook last week. If you follow me there at The Friddle, you probably have already seen this. But he posted this article in Wall Street Journal stating that we will have herd immunity by April because COVID cases have dropped 77% in six weeks and experts, he said, should level with the public about the good news. He said it's in part, large part, because of natural immunity from prior infections and that that is far more common than can be measured by testing because testing has only been capturing about 10 to 25% of infections depending on when during the pandemic someone got the virus. But applying a time-weighted case capture of 1 in 6.5 to the cumulative 28 million confirmed cases would mean about 55% of Americans already have natural immunity. Then you add the people that are getting vaccinated. As of last week, 15% of, immuni- of Americans had received the vaccine, and that number is rapidly rising. By the end of March, it is estimated by the Food and Drug Administration that 250 million doses will have been delivered to some 150 million people. So according to this doctor, there is reason to think the country is racing toward an extremely low level of infection. As more people have been infected, most of whom had mild or no symptoms, there are fewer Americans left to be infected. At the current trajectory, I expect COVID will be mostly gone by April, allowing Americans to resume normal life. Antibody studies almost certainly underestimate natural immunity. Antibody testing doesn't capture antigen-specific T-cells, which develop memory once they are activated by the virus. Survivors of the 1918 Spanish flu were found in 2008, 90 years later, to have memory cells still able to produce neutralizing antibodies. Wow. Researchers at Sweden's Karolinska Institute found that the percentage of people mounting a T-cell response after mild or asymptomatic COVID-19 infection consistently exceeded the percentage with detectable antibodies. T-cell immunity was even present in people who were exposed to infected family members, but never developed symptoms. COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. would also suggest much broader immunity than recognized. And then he goes on to talk about uh, those numbers. And then he says this, which is very interesting. Now, again, this is a Wall Street Journal piece from a doctor from John Hopkins. It is an opinion piece in John, uh, from a John Hopkins, very well-recognized doctor. This is not, uh, if, you, if you like to use the word, term quack for whatever reason, defining whatever group of doctors, this is not one of those people, okay? But this is what he said. He said, in my own conversations with medical experts, I have noticed that they too often dismiss natural immunity, arguing that we don't have data. The data certainly doesn't fit the classic randomized controlled trial model of the old guard medical establishment. There's no controlled group, but the observational data is compelling. Hmm. Hmm. But the consistent and rapid decline in daily cases since January 8th can be explained only by natural immunity. Behavior didn't suddenly improve over the holidays. Americans traveled more over Christmas than they had since March. Vaccines also don't explain the steep decline in January. Vaccination rates were low and take weeks to kick in. My prediction that COVID-19 will be mostly gone by April is based on laboratory data, mathematical data, published literature, and conversations with experts. Many experts, along with politicians and journalists, are afraid to talk about herd immunity. The term has political overtones because some suggested the U.S. simply let COVID rip to achieve herd immunity. That was a reckless idea. But herd immunity is the inevitable result of viral spread and vaccination. When the chain of virus transmission has been broken in multiple places, it's harder for it to spread, and that includes the new strains. 
And he goes on, I'm telling you, you should read this. This is so good. This is so good. Some medical experts privately agreed with my prediction that there may be very little COVID-19 by April, but suggested that I not talk publicly about herd immunity because people might become complacent and fail to take precautions or might decline the vaccine. But scientists shouldn't try to manipulate the public by hiding the truth. I love this guy. As we encourage everyone to get a vaccine, we also need to reopen schools and society to limit the damage of closures and prolonged isolation. Contingency planning for an open economy by April can deliver hope to those in despair and to those who have made large personal sacrifices. That's Dr. Macari. He's a professor at John Hopkins School of Medicine and the Bloomberg School of Public Health, and he's a chief medical advisor to Sesame Care and the author of a book called The Price We Pay. So there you go. A, a fairly educated, knowledgeable individual looking at the data, looking at the stats and saying, we're going to have this thing beat by April. I don't know about you, but I find that so encouraging. And if you look at other data, vaccines, and, and I'm not saying that you should take the vaccine or you shouldn't take the vaccine. I'm not getting into the whole vaccines issue. But what I am saying is that if you look at the data on herd immunity that's occurring naturally, if you look at the data from places like Florida, Florida is just, is just flying in the face of all of the other, mm, shall we say, people who are saying that it can't be there's one of them in our government, Fauci, um, who says that we won't be able to do anything or have a normal life until 2022 at least. And you're still going to have to wear a mask if you get vaccinated and you're not going to be able to participate in any kind of major gatherings or, or resume life as normal. Meanwhile, Florida is saying, we're doing it. We've been doing it. We were there in Thanksgiving and you didn't have to wear a mask. It was, it was a wonderful thing to live in freedom. Anyway, but if you look at the data... The numbers are falling. It is good news. In Israel, researchers are seeing that COVID-19 vaccines are helping not only to curb infections uh, and hospitalizations among older people, but across the board. And the country is the first to release data, according to Nature.com, the country is the first to release data showing vaccines working in such a large group of people uh, following news two weeks ago that shots seem to be reducing infections in vaccinated individuals. Um, they are, Israel has by far vaccinated more people than anybody else, and their rates are just plummeting. So when you combine that, again, with the herd immunity factor, this is just, in my mind, we should be shouting this from the to housetops, from the rooftops, that the end is near. We should be giving people hope. I totally agree with Dr. Makari. You know, it's time for us to stop living in a state of fear. It's time for us to stop spreading panic. And yes, panic and fear sells. And I do believe, as I have said throughout this thing, that that the media, as they do with everything else, because, again, this is what sells. This is what people click on. We need to start having an honest conversation about the fact that life can get back to normal. We have watched other countries do this. We have watched the state of Florida do this. And the data, not, not, the Republican governor, although his, his method is working, but the data is now reflecting what many have said all along, that this thing is just about over. And that we will achieve herd immunity, and we will achieve it relatively quickly. 
So, uh, also, so the Moderna vaccine has been being very effective. Johnson & Johnson just released a new report on their vaccine as well. That one is also shown to be very effective. And the I, I believe they're going to be rolling out a significant increase in the number of vaccines from uh, one of the companies. I don't remember which one it is, but there's supposed to be... It's just an enormous amount of vaccinations coming. Again, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. That's, you know, you do what you and your doctor decide. But between what I am saying is that the vaccines coupled with the herd immunity are giving us numbers that are looking really, really good for us to resume life as normal. And that, if you look at that data, you do have to take a step back then and ask, so if that is the case and the data is saying one thing, then why are we hearing something else? Why are we hearing something else from certain people that are supposed to be, you know, having our best interests at heart? Speaking of our best interests at heart, I'm not going to get too far into this because we went into it, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but the whole stimulus money idea and we talked about um, how essentially every dollar the government quote-unquote gives to you reduces the value of every other dollar in your net worth. And obviously that reduction can be larger or greater depending on what your net worth would be. But Republicans are now saying that they have basically a united front and that they are going to reject the Biden $1.9 trillion relief plan. Now, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't go through. It still could. But it gives it a much stronger chance of overall rejection. It does come with some political risk because there is a clear majority of Americans that are now supporting this rescue package. And then the Democrats got a, a large amount of businesses, including some high-profile ones, to send in their support. And so the, the, the question is, will the voice of the masses... And the thought that if we just get some money now, we'll be fine, win the day. Or will Republicans, who say that the bill is bloated, poorly targeted, and has a hodgepodge of different pork aimed at pleasing their Democratic base, will they win out? Will Republicans unite on this one after months of party fighting. So here's the thing. Mitch McConnell has said that the Democratic that the Democrats plan is totally partisan. And yes, I'm sure everybody would love to get a check, but they haven't yet learned about what else is in it and part of our job as the substantial minority, remember we're in a 50-50 Senate here, is to make sure the American people fully understand what's being proposed. So what are some things that are in this bill? Well, the bill includes a federal minimum wage hike to $15 per hour. Which sounds great. But that is not something that is something you would... <laughs> this is what pork is. They stick things into these bills that people are like, Oh yes, we want that bill to pass. Because that bill is going to get you presumably a $1,400 check or more if you are married or have children. But when you put in a $15 minimum wage, earnings would increase for many, and some families would be lifted out of poverty. 
But other low-wage workers would become jobless, their family income would drop, and they would potentially then be below the poverty threshold. So you have this idea of the minimum wage, and this is just one. I'm going to go through a few more here uh, in, in just a moment. But I wanted to stop on the minimum wage because this is one that's really being pushed and just and just review some of the reasons why this is maybe not as good of an idea, though it sounds good. The, the, this is an, an argument largely based on emotions rather than on data and economics. Because there are a number of unintended consequences that result when you do something like push a drastic increase to the minimum wage like this. Because then you have employers, and this is, this is particularly um, negative towards those that are small businesses, that are mid-sized businesses, family businesses. They are disproportionately hurt by this. Because you have local stores, you have small businesses that are operating on, on the minutest of profits that are then going to be forced to raise their prices to make up for additional labor costs. When you increase the price, a customer may elect to take their business elsewhere. So everybody, and this just, it cracks me up because, you know, leftists are often, you know, shop small business, shop local, shop, shop local. But the problem when you do something like raise the minimum wage is you are literally driving the small business and the local business that you want people to shop at out of business by not allowing them to then compete with the likes of Walmart and Amazon. So you're actually, when you do something like this, you're increasing the potential profitability of Walmart because you are driving customers out of small businesses where prices are more expensive because their costs have now gone up to big businesses that can eat that, uh, that loss. And when a small business loses customers, it means they lose income, which means they have to lay off workers. And then those larger corporations that I mentioned, th this isn't going <laughs> to, here's what they're going to do. They're not going to start paying people $15 an hour. No, 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 no. They're going to look at the increased labor costs, and they are going to, by and large, elect to invest in technology, and that technology is then going to replace the workers. You're going to see this happening. If, if, this, if this minimum wage increase happens, you're going to see this happening in food service. You're going to see this happening in hospitality. You're going to see it happening in manufacturing jobs, in construction, construction jobs, in retail jobs. Soon after that, you're going to see fast food chains, department stores, self-service checkouts are going to be the, the norm, which, you know, I don't really mind that so much because I love doing self-checkout, except when I have a coupon. Please just let me scan my own coupons. Like, I literally spend more time waiting for help to scan a coupon in the self-checkout line than I spent in the entire store. But this is a pet peeve of mine that I just need to let go right now. The other problem with a $15 minimum wage is then you've now, you've now broken through the ceiling and people are going to realize that if we can get to $15 an hour, then in a year or two they might go to $17 an hour. They might go to $19 an hour. And as you watch these increases, and then you couple that with increasing insurance cost, then you have to deal with training employees, turnover, it's just it just makes sense that as we have the technology that can do the jobs that you would have to pay people to do that you would have to pay their insurance on that you would have to give them benefits for in the long run it is more economically feasible to invest in the robot that is programmed to do what you need it to do that isn't ever going to leave you that you don't have to pay for health insurance for them or their family that you don't have to put into a 401k you don't have to pay taxes do, do you see where this is going 
And then, of course, <laughs> another little another little fun fact. If you have a $15 minimum wage, but say you are an unscrupulous business owner and you could compensate individuals in cash that are willing to work for less than the minimum wage, what do you think is going to happen? Well, they're going to pay people in cash for less than the minimum wage. And that's going to, so when, you, when, you, when you have small businesses that are going to be laying off people and increasing their prices, you have big businesses that are going to transition more and more to technology, and then you have unscrupulous business owners who are going to pay in cash so that they can undercut the minimum wage. Guess what is happening then? Jobs are disappearing, and the jobs are disappearing most for who? For young people? for students, and for moms who are looking to return to the workforce. And that's just one element, right, of this stimulus bill package. This is not just about sending you the rest of your $2,000 that Joe Biden po- promised you. No, 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 no. There's the minimum wage increase. There's, there's a $300 million um, uh, line item to the Department of Agriculture so that they can conduct monitoring and surveillance of susceptible animals for incidents of SARS-CoV-2 as guided by the World Organization for Animal Health. Maybe we don't need to be doing that right now. Maybe you could just give Crystal $1 million and she'll monitor her dogs for COVID and then you know we'll save, we'll save the American public $299 million. I, I volunteer as tribute. Then you have then you have this element, which is just seems kind of racist, but you have socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. So when it comes to farm loans, the bill states that the Agriculture Department shall provide a payment in an amount equal to 120% of the outstanding indebtedness of each socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher as of January 1st, 2021, to pay off the loan directly or to the socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher. The purpose of the debt payment is to alleviate discriminatory barriers preventing socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers from fully participating in the American farm economy. Well, would you like to read between the lines? If you want to read more about this, Betsy McCauley has a really good article that outlines this in townhall.com. It's called It's a Racist Plan, Not a Rescue Plan. Uh, And she says that this bill comes with a slap in the face for people who believe in racial equality and want everyone to benefit. Section 1005 of the bill offers women and minority farm owners a total debt forgiveness of up to hundreds of thousands of dollars per farmer. No strings or other requirements. An amazing offer, but white men need not apply. Newly elected Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, who proposed it, you may recognize that name, says it's intended to make up for years of discrimination. Sorry, Senator, but this is discrimination. There's more discrimination in the bill's aid to restaurants, Section 6003. It grants restaurant owners up to $5 million per facility to offset losses during the pandemic. That's a lifeline for restaurants hanging on week by week, trying to make one more mortgage or rent payment and keep from going out of business. Here's the hitch. Only women, minorities, and veterans can apply during the program's first three weeks. Most white men have to go to the back of the line, even if their their losses are larger or their need is more pressing. Treating white male farmers and restaurant owners like second-class citizens violates a fundamental principle that we are equal under the law, a principle guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. This bill looks more like reparations than COVID-19 relief. It says farm aid is being provided for the purposes of addressing the long-standing and widespread discrimination against socially disadvantaged farmers, but the truth is that farmers have been struggling for a decade and more than half lose money every year. 
Minority-owned farms are generally less in debt than farms owned by whites, though diminished access to credit may be part of the reason. Debt relief is urgently needed by white and minority farmers alike. And she continues on. She has more data uh, to back up her claims, but very interesting. Then also in this bill, $91 million, and I quote, for the Department of Education to prevent, prepare for, and respond to coronavirus domestically or internationally, including direct outreach to students and borrowers about financial aid, economic impact payments, means-tested benefits, and tax benefits for which they may be eligible. $91 million for the Department of Education. Our schools have been... Cl- like, what, what in the world is this? I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't translate it for you. I don't know what, I don't know what that's supposed to do. $135 million to the National Endowment for the Arts. Do we, do we, maybe we just, maybe we just want to live. Maybe we just want to be able to buy toilet paper and go to work. And maybe we could spend $135 million not on, not on the National Endowment for the Arts. What does that even, where does it go? $135 million to the National Endowment of the Humanities. Again, I, maybe, maybe this could be used better. $200 million to the Institute of Museum and Library Services. $10 million for the preservation and maintenance of Native American languages. Now, look, I appreciate Native American languages as much as the next guy, but what does that have to do with COVID-19? Family planning, which could include abortion in this bill. Still trying to figure out exactly all the ins and outs of what is happening here. But it looks like it would be include abortion. So family planning, $50 million, including abortion. What, what, again, COVID-19, how is this? $750 million for the directors of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, to combat emerging infectious disease threats globally. That's interesting, considering that we're not allowed to talk about where these diseases have come from because it is not... Uh, politically correct to do so. Then, then there's this one. The bill provides $500 million to, quote, support public health data surveillance and and analytics infrastructure modernization initiatives at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Health data surveillance. Well, that seems just slightly concerning. Airlines get $15 billion, and you can, you can Google this. I want to wrap this up here today. But if the bill goes through as it is presented, those are just some of the pork items that Republicans are saying, whoa, 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 maybe we need to take a step back and we need to look at this. And we need for people to understand that there is a lot going on in this bill that has nothing at all to do with COVID-19 and is purely political. And so we don't think this is a great idea. Now, if you're listening to this podcast on Saturday on the radio, here in Las Vegas on KVXL, uh, you probably already know the outcome of the vote on that bill. But uh, when we released the podcast, it was still forthcoming. So that is that is it. Now you know. I really wanted to get into. Well, let me just say this: basically, the cost of this bill, if it goes through, as is about fifteen or five thousand seven hundred dollars to a taxpayer. Okay, that's it's actually more than that to a taxpayer. So if you evened it out, if you spread it across the board for everybody that would that would be receiving potentially a fourteen hundred dollar payment, the cost of your fourteen hundred dollar payment would be five thousand seven hundred dollars. But if you are a taxpayer, it's actually more than that for you, substantially more than that. And then for those who do not pay taxes, it would be essentially uh, zero. I 
do you do you understand every dollar the government gives to you quote unquote gives lessens the value of every other dollar in your net worth um we we're going to talk about the equality act if you're not familiar with that you need to go and you need to do some research on the equality act this is going to uh, hurt women this is a terrible 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 bill um maybe we'll talk about it next week because i want to stay under the 30 mark here for you today um, you should also go look at uh, John Kerry and Iran and what was happening there because that's uh, very interesting to see that they were kind of colluding um, during the Trump uh, administration. You, the, 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 the post office, you know, COVID-19, we just want to get our mail. There were so many issues with getting mail through COVID-19. But, you know, the, what the post office is doing to better their services, they're, they're making new trucks. They're making new trucks and they look like aliens and I don't understand why this is the problem that the post office feels they need to solve. But things I wanted to uh, go over today, not to mention the fact that gas prices are shooting up faster than Biden's votes at 2 o'clock in the morning. <sighs> That's a joke. But uh, again, we're going to just wrap it. Maybe we'll hit some of those things next week. Maybe we won't. What would you like for us to talk about? Hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. You can find me there at The Frittle. Let me know your thoughts, comments, questions on today's episode or if you have something that you say hey can we would you talk about this in the next podcast i will uh, i will do my best to get those questions answered for you thanks so much for listening if you're here in las vegas join us for church on sunday eight o'clock nine forty-five or eleven thirty sunday morning are our service times our address is 6501 west lake boulevard hope to see you and your family then have a wonderful week until next time this is kvxl 101.1 fm experience liberty radio you're listening to the frittle show